welcome to episode 29 of the Classical Guitar Composers Podcast. As always, I am your host, Chris Hales. Glad to have you joining me once again. And if this is your first time, this show is simply a place that features original classical guitar compositions from around the globe. All you have to do is send in an mp3 recording of your music with classical guitar, and I feature it on the show. It's that simple. We don't play Bach. We don't play Legnani. We don't play Paganini. We play your music. And I'd like to just let out a quick reminder that a great way to support the show is to go to classicalguitarcomposers.com, click on the link titled Sheet Music, and there you can find a a, a few pieces by me and uh, you know you get yourself a little something and it helps out the show the music you're hearing right now is the opening movement of my work titled The American Suite if you like what you're hearing check out The American Suite under sheet music at classicalguitarcomposers.com welcome to the show I'm looking forward to today's episode, and there's some exciting things coming down the way I'm going to talk about. But I got to mention this: I was recently listening to Eddie Trunk's podcast. Eddie Trunk is a uh, rock and roll DJ, and he's done many things in the rock and roll rock world. Anyway, he was interviewing Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath, and Geezer just threw out there that he is currently stuck in Utah and has been for like over a year. And I had no idea of this. Apparently Geezer Butler is living in Utah, stuck here for some reason. But I'm very curious, where at in Utah is Geezer Butler? How weird would it be to like go to the grocery store and there's Geezer Butler <laughs> buying some apples? I had no idea. I'm not sure why Geezer's here. I don't know why he's stuck here. I'm assuming it has something to do with COVID, although, I mean, this is a fairly recent interview. Is it still not... I mean, as far as I could understand, Geezer would be able to return to England, would he not? I don't know, but that's where he says he wants to be. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Love Geezer Butler. I hope to see him at the grocery store. Although if uh, I did, I don't know that I would say anything. I say, hey, Geezer, do you like classical guitar? I'm very curious as to what part of Utah he's living in. I doubt very much it's Happy Valley where I am. So, anyway. Love Black Sabbath. Been listening to a lot of Aerosmith lately. That's a... That's just been hitting the spot, man. I just absolutely adore Aerosmith. I love, like, the nasty, gritty, old Aerosmith albums. Their earlier works. Rocks is just absolutely amazing. And I love their poppy stuff. I like the, the all the uh, Alicia Silverstone video 90s songs. I love it all, man. I think Aerosmith, they can just do no wrong for me until an abrupt ending. And it's when they did the song for the movie Armageddon. And I don't think I've liked anything Aerosmith has done since then. I didn't care for that song and I didn't care for the album that followed that one and then I really haven't paid much attention to what they've done since then but but I have been I've been listening to Aerosmith a lot on my uh, on my walks recently and it is just hitting the spot. They're an interesting band. You know, I uh you know how some bands um 
they have their hits and then like the the deep tracks the you know kind of the the stuff you wouldn't hear on the radio is often better and then some bands i'd say like the cult i like the band the cult but i'd say this the the greatest the cult greatest hits that's that's accurate that's the greatest hits i've i have a greatest hits cult album i think it's great i've checked out a few of their albums from the library and given them a listen and you know they're okay but i was like this is this is a band where where the hits are really the best you know and then uh you know there's other bands where the deep tracks are better i'm not sure where aerosmith falls in that category i think it depends on the album i think like their album permanent vacation would arguably be their best album but but the hits are the weaker part of that album i would say like dude looks like a lady whatever yeah, ragdoll's pretty cool ragdoll's a good song i think angel's terrible they i Angel's got maybe the cheesiest lyrics ever written, and it's just I, I don't care for Angel, but but Permanent Vacation, the album is just incredible. Hangman, Jury, Saint John, the song Permanent Vacation's fantastic. I guess it has a Beatles song. Man, nothing kills a good concert or a good album like a like a Beatles song, just popping in all of a sudden, bringing the train to a screeching halt. But Permanent's a great album. It's really, uh, you know, I gotta say it's a... It, it falls somewhere in the mid-80s. I'm not sure exactly what year Permanent Vacation came out, but mid-80s, maybe late-80s. But I think it's a pretty timeless album. It does not sound like 80s rock. I think it's, I think it's a really, really great album. But for the hits, I'd say it could be also argued that Rocks is their greatest album. And that one, I I couldn't really argue against Rocks, man. Rocks is just gritty and nasty and amazing. A couple of hits off Rocks, but the entire thing is is excellent, man. You just can't go wrong with Rocks. Sick as a dog, Rats in the Cellar, Last Child, Back in the Saddle. Man, that's a good album. I'm loving this Aerosmith kick. I think the general consensus is that their best album was Toys in the Attic. I think Toys in the Attic's great, but it rocks is, is hands down better than Toys in the Attic. I think for the later, the more poppy years of Aerosmith, I think Pump is, is by far your, your best choice. Unless you count Permanent Vacation. I feel like that one's kind of between. Grateful Dead don't really have hits, so it's hard to say. It's hard to really say what's a deep track, what's not with Grateful Dead. Iron Maiden's a, an interesting one because Iron Maiden, uh, it's all excellent is, is how I feel. Like, uh, I don't get tired of the really popular Iron Maiden songs like I do some, you know, so that's, that's the thing. A lot of uh, bands like, say, Aerosmith, they have these great songs, but you get tired of them because they, they're, I don't know, you've heard them too many times. This is... I'm saying you, I'm really speaking from my perspective, but it, with Iron Maiden, like I, every time I hear Run to the Hills, I'm like, this is just a great song. And I, I'm not like, yeah, Run to the Hills again. I've heard this a thousand times. It, I, I just, I could listen to it a thousand more times. But when Iron Maiden is on, they are on. There's, there's a run of Iron Maiden albums. I'd say that the first three with Bruce Dickinson are just so good. I think that's your best chunk. And then there's, there's, good stuff after that there's 
there's some good stuff before it. I think their first album's pretty good. I'd like to see a band come out with the worst of album, where they just like it, I, I'd like to see this with like an old band like Black Sabbath or you know someone like that or Aerosmith where they <laughs> the Grateful Dead would be a good candidate for this. They say, "All right, you've heard the best of. Now here's our absolute what were we thinking album." <laughs> I think you could get a Grateful Dead album with like I think you could get like a ten song worst hits album for the Grateful Dead, and I say that with nothing but love and adoration. But man, they they've they've had some they've put out some weird stuff. I, I'm sure uh, my friend Scott knows. <laughs> I'm sure a few might come to mind when you think of maybe some of the dead's misses my mine would be like a sunrise some of brent midland's tunes although uh, i really like some of brent's tunes too but he's got a couple that are yeah they're, you know kind of head scratchers would there be an equivalent of of this in the classical guitar world like uh like like okay take like giuliani what if you do you do you ever go to a recital and someone's like Here's the grand solo, or not, wait, sorry, not the grand solo. Here's the grand overture by Giuliani. And there's some guy in the audience like, oh, the grand overture again? Pfft. I, I can't even think of, uh, you know, like what, what the deep cut equivalent would be. But, you know, does he want to hear like, <laughs> what, what are, I don't know, what are the deep cuts? Does somebody, uh, maybe go to a Bach concert and be like, yeah, we don't we don't want to hear the Toccata and Fugue. We want to hear, uh, how about Chorale number 96? Maybe if someone says, I'm all right, here's Carcassi's Etudes number 7 and number 25, and, and you get some dude in the audience, no, 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 we want to hear number 8 and number 22. I don't know, but I would love to see a band, because here... A lot of a lot of these uh, older bands, I, I look. I'm I'm maybe maybe going in, crossing a line here because I I'm talking about other types of music on a classical guitar program. But I sometimes listen to interviews with with you know like classic rock artists. You know they like that Geezer Butler interview. I think uh, he alluded to some music he didn't care for. A lot of these musicians who have a you know 40 year career to look back over there there's there's stuff they dislike in there i mean like when the allman brothers were still a band they omitted like a decade of music from their live shows like they just didn't want to do anything from a certain era because there were bad feelings about it like a uh, like black sabbath whenever they play these days they never play anything from the last three albums it's all stuff from the first five albums. I'm saying I'm referring to the the Ozzy Osbourne era of Black Sabbath. Like y you'll never see Black Sabbath play "Never Say Die" today. It's kind of interesting. Anyway, I'd love to see them just say, "Yeah, here's a collection of our our duds," and try to sell it. I guess uh something along those lines could be like see I, I've written all sorts of pieces that uh, are pretty not good 
but I bet I still have a like I still have files of them. You know, it's not like I've just destroyed them and and burnt them into the into the universe to just disappear. There, I you know I've still got like finale files on my computer. I got old notebooks with some bad guitar pieces. I suppose I could like record all of my worst compositions, but I'm not gonna do that. And I guess that's I guess that's why we'll probably never see a, a worst of the Stones album. All right, moving on. Got an email here from Christian Heim. I cannot recall exactly what episodes uh, Christian Heim has been featured on before, but he's a past contributor to the show and friend of the show, and I've got this email from him catching up with us. It says, Hi Chris, I hope all is well. The last week I have been catching up on your podcast while building another classical guitar. I used to listen to the podcast while while walking to work, but that hasn't happened for a while. Anyway, I'm really enjoying listening to it while I'm in the workshop. I enjoy all the content, even the horror movie face-off was great. <laughs> I still have a couple of episodes left before I'm fully caught up and considering, and considered waiting until I've heard them all to send you a note, but I figured I would shoot you an email now to both send over some music and share a couple of thoughts based on what has been discussed in the episodes. Firstly, thanks for replaying my fall piece in your fall episode. There are three more pieces in that Seasonal Moods collection if you are interested at some point. Some things that have sprung to mind while listening to the podcast. Movies. I can totally relate to your story about watching Child's Play as a kid and having nightmares. That movie for me was Poltergeist. I caught glimpses of this as a kid while my parents were watching and I was supposed to be asleep. I had nightmares about the pear tree outside my bedroom window for years. Performance. You were talking in one episode about how bad performance experiences stick with you in relation to audience showing respect. I had a bad experience, not the fault of the audience. I agreed to play some piece at an event even though I was not on top of my practicing and hadn't performed in years. I'm not very happy with my performance and didn't play or practice much for many years after that. I'm thankful that I eventually found the passion again, started performing again, and put the stage fright behind me. Composition. I guess that is what your podcast is about. You talk about this a lot. I enjoyed the episode with the interview with Scott. I have a mix of ways I compose and it depends on the piece. Quite often I get this idea, either in my head or just by playing around with the guitar. I record lots of ideas with the phone. Then I pick them up later to develop a piece or pieces out of it. With regards to your writer's block question, Sometimes I leave a piece or idea alone for a year or more before I pick it back up and finish it. I have lots of ideas that when I go back and visit, suddenly one jumps out at me and I continue working on it. Reverb. I believe you talked about that in one episode in context of when and where to use it, and you were not that big of a fan of using it for classical guitar, if I remember correctly. I like to use some reverb on some of my pieces. Sometimes, because it fits the piece and provides me more room in the sound, another impression I have is that the music gets more positive feedback from a wider, a wider audience, not just classical guitar players. This would be an interesting topic to discuss, maybe. I don't know if it has any merit, but it is an impression I have. Would be interesting to hear yours and your audio engineering companions take on that. After all, in the end, we are all working on creating more awareness of the classical guitar. Guitar building. So, you talked about having composer guests on the show. 
This I thought was intriguing, and I enjoyed the discussion. I immediately thought of an idea. As mentioned before, I build classical guitars, a dimension most classical guitarists and composers generally do not dive into. Could that be an interesting topic for the show? I would gladly share and discuss my story around this and talk about building classical guitars or answer questions people might have or similar. And then Christian also uh, sent me some new compositions and we're gonna actually save them. So I have news following this email that in June, Christian will be my guest on the show and I am so looking forward to that. We are absolutely gonna talk about guitar building. I would love to uh, pick the mind of a luthier and whatever else we want to talk about. If anyone does have any questions for Christian, if you can submit them, if you, you can email them to me by June, I'll pass them along. If not, we'll just uh, simply discuss it as, as we go. And <laughs> it's funny how things happen because I got this email from Christian, we've got Christian coming on, and then my friend and he well my friend my friend former teacher and luthier justin leslie is also going to be coming on the show this year and we'll also be talking about guitar building so we're going to get into some luthier stuff this year uh, first with christian and then in august uh justin will be coming on and so we'll have two different perspectives on it which is always cool but I will also maybe uh, focus on different aspects of, of it with each of you guys. So very, I'm very uh, much looking forward to talking to you, Christian, and um, having Justin on the show as well later on this year. Okay, so as I, as I was saying, uh, so Christian has some music, but I'm going to feature the music on the episode uh, featuring the interview with Christian. And I will get to today's music in just a little bit. But to uh, quickly respond to some of your things in the email, Christian, uh, <laughs> I find that hilarious about the uh, the pear tree and poltergeist because, man, that that's I think a lot of kids who had a tree outside of their window <laughs> had that same fear. Mine, yeah, I I managed to miss seeing Poltergeist as a kid, and I I didn't I didn't see Poltergeist till I was much older, and I really liked the movie, but I I do wonder how I would have taken it as a kid. I don't really know. I'm glad you were able to get past the stage fright. I don't know if it's harder for an adult or a kid. Like I I worry about like if kids have bad experiences. You know, not not just my daughter. My daughter performs very well. And she performs often enough that I think she's going to be able to get over any kind of bad audience. But but I see some other kids that, you know, they, they struggle more in front of an audience. and It's just a thing that you're sad to see. I wish audiences were more respectful. And, and I really, I think my biggest point to that was that I don't think because it's a children's recital that it warrants less respect from the audience. I think if anything, it demands more and having dealt with a lot of stage fright myself I know it's a hard thing to get over and you know I'm much better than I used to be I will say I think the more you perform the better the easier it gets I mean that's it's nice to be able to put things like that behind you um, with the reverb I don't remember exactly what was said about reverb but my thoughts on reverb are 
I wouldn't say that I don't like it because I, I love reverb. Um, but yeah, I don't like huge reverbs on classical guitar recordings where it's almost distracting. I'll get like a professional example. There's like a John Williams recording, I think. I think it's John Williams. I hope so because I don't want to. I don't want to speak incorrectly about about it, but I think there's a John Williams um, recording of Cordoba by Albanes, where it's like he he takes the harmonic section and it sounds like it sounds like he's being recorded from like the other end of a giant cathedral, and I just it, I don't like that. Experiencing that kind of reverb in person is absolutely breathtaking, but. I mean, I, I add reverb. I record in my basement office. I, I add some some reverb plugins, so I'm not anti-reverb. I just don't like huge reverb. I, anyway, yeah, I mean, there's uh, my voice has got a... I'm sending it to a small amount of reverb. Or I should say I'm sending a small amount of the signal to like a, a just like a little room or a chamber reverb. I can't remember what I've got on there. but So no, I, I'm certainly not anti-reverb. I, I should clarify that next time I have Parker on the show we could definitely talk about it I don't really know I've never really just had a reverb conversation with Parker um, in the job we share together uh, we deal with reverb I mean it has the reverbs very much tailored to what we're what the product is and I, I don't know what his like artistic preferences are on reverb and now I want to know so I will probably have Parker on again just because I enjoy talking to him and I do feel like <laughs> both times I maybe strayed too much away from the audio conversation and they might not have been as helpful as I'd intended them to be. So I'd love to give it a third go. I also just really enjoy hanging out with the dude. I mean, we go disc golfing together every week. I get to talk to him all the time, but it is it is fun to put the microphones out and start just rattling off some conversations and... I have been picking his brain on microphones recently, and I've I've ordered those microphones that I tried, those those Lewitts. I'm looking forward to getting to those. Okay, check out Christian Heim's YouTube page. He's got videos of guitar builds on there, and there's videos of him playing the guitars. So you can hear them. There Christian, I gotta say your building is is really coming along, and I'm I'm just totally in awe of it. When I do the June episode, I'll share uh, some of the stuff with you guys that he sent me. Oh, Christian also sent me a video on fixing broken nails using the ping pong balls. And uh, I have seen your video on this before, Christian, and uh, that is a cool, cool method. I know uh, Jason Vio or Vo, he uses a ping pong thumbnail. Anyway, so thanks, Christian. I, uh, I much appreciate the the email and I'm glad you're getting caught up on the show and speaking of the horror movie face off I think Jeremy's going to join me again in October this just might become a thing but uh, we're going to we're going to have a we're going to talk about our draft we're not going to have another draft obviously that would just be dumb but maybe talk about what we might do differently in re- in retrospect looking back a year later. I know uh, a couple things I would change about mine, but we'll save that for down the road. So there's a few uh, previews of what's coming this year. We got a June episode with composer and luthier Christian Heim. 
We've got one with Justin Leslie in August, and in October, <laughs> going back to horror movies with Jeremy Shogren. Now, speaking of my friend Justin, I got a brand new guitar. <laughs> Two, actually. So it's funny how uh, this is all timed out, but yeah, Justin has built me a cedar top guitar. The guitar I play uh, the, that you've heard in some of my recordings, the American Suite, the Graveyard Suite, were both recorded with a guitar built by Justin, and that one is a spruce top with Honduran rosewood back and sides. I love that guitar. Anyway, I've... I've I've been wanting a cedar. I've wanted a, a second classical with a cedar top for a long time, and today there is now one in my possession that Justin's built, and it is gorgeous. And I also have a little like a uh, 19th century model he's built, and um, I'm gonna have him talk more about those when he comes on. And I think what I'd like to do is uh, I'm gonna record just a little bit of music with each one you guys can hear it. Maybe we'll do like the same little excerpt of music of the three guitars, and I'd love to have him talk about the differences in the three. But yeah, I'm <laughs> I've never owned a cedar top guitar, and man, it's it's cool. It's something I've wanted for a long time, and I'm I'm one happy dude today. Okay, so moving on to the meat and potatoes of the show. Now would be that time to hit pause. And refill your iced tea, which is exactly what I am going to do, because I'm going to hit pause. I'm going to go refill this tea. It is getting low. And then we are going to hear some new music from our dear friend, Martin Slater. And welcome back. Okay. As I said, we have two pieces coming up by Martin Slater. Martin writes, Chris, well, I have finally managed to record something, but not with any of those fancy DAWs. My latest attempt with that was Audacity, but even though I got a recording, it was very bad. Indeed, it was sensitive to the motor of my laptop before I even plugged my mic in. So, I have used the voice record on my mobile, sent the recording to my email, and saved it as an MP3. Definitely low-tech, but far less confusing, so here you have it. My first recording for over 10 years. The only thing that will now hold me is my ability to record my pieces effectively, and to my relative satisfaction. Nevertheless, I will persevere with the techno stuff, but the immediate pressure is off, something for which I am breathing an enormous sigh of relief. Martin. Well, Martin, I certainly think these recordings are going to work. I might see if I can't just warm up the, the sound a little bit with some of my the tools at my disposal here, but we'll see what I can do. I'm certainly not going to uh, tamper with your audio, but we'll see if we can't warm it up a little bit. Okay, and then I have a follow-up email from Martin here, which uh, gives us a little more context to the pieces. So, just a few notes on my latest recordings, Martin writes. Rustic Rondo dates from May 26th, 1978, and is one of my earliest works. Even the score is rather sketchy with my recent alterations, but with other pieces in mind, it also now has the subtitle, Characteristic Piece Number 1. The Prelude dates from the 26th of July, 1981, and is from a set of eight. I'm currently memorizing and refingering my six country dances, which are on the surface simpler in form and more overtly melodic. 
I will only send them when I have all six recorded, but I will probably diverge to a standalone piece in between, probably a characteristic piece. In the meantime, with the easing of our lockdown, my Eastleigh Running Club, which I've been a member of for at least 20 years, has got back to doing evening club runs, still only six per group. This has got me going solo again as well. I've done three half marathon distances since early March, nothing like the four hour and 20 minute marathon I did in 2005 around Edinburgh, but it's not for lack of determination which is only equaled by my determination to memorize music. All the best, Martin. Alright, thank you very much Martin, I'm looking forward to this, I'm glad to hear that you're able to get back into the running club again. and. That's got to feel good after being crammed down for so long. I'm curious, uh, <laughs> I, I have to admit I don't run, but I do like to hike a lot. But I know when I hike, Martin, I my head is often dealing with classical guitar stuff. I know that uh, I conceived of and fleshed out in skeletal framework, at least, what became eventually the graveyard suite while I was hiking around Arches National Park. I don't know uh, what, how your mind goes when you're running, but do you, uh, do you do any uh, guitar work in your mind while you run? Just curious. Anyway, here is Rustic Rondo, followed by Prelude Number 4 by Martin Slater.
And there it is, we've just heard Prelude Number 4 and Rustic Rondo by Martin Slater. Thank you, Martin. As always, glad to have you as part of the show. And uh, I just added a touch of reverb to those recordings. Just a touch. And with that, I'm going to call it a show. Thank you all so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to future shows as well. And if I see Geezer at the store, I'll let you know. Until next time, have a great month, and keep on plucking.